0: Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the, the Bible teachings and, and tonight's lesson is on the, the book of 2 Timothy. This is uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. Um, this is believed to be Paul's final and most personal letter that he had written and it was from prison. We don't really know how much time had elapsed between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, but Paul managed to get himself locked up again and now he's back in prison. <clears throat> so Paul's situation had changed from the first letter and it was far worse than it had been in the past. He, he is now imprisoned in Rome and he's in the middle of a court trial and he states that it's not going well. He's convinced that this is the end of his life here on earth and it's drawing nearer and nearer as the processions continue. However, out of this very dark situation, Paul appeals to Timothy, who it seems is still in assignment in Ephesus. He asks Timothy to come be with him in prison, so Paul could pass on to him the church planting mission that he had started so that he could pass on these teachings to him. Paul is challenging Timothy to accept his calling as a leader. Paul is thanking God for Timothy and his family, specifically his grandmother Lois and his mom Eunice. They had taught Timothy the Old Testament Scriptures that he had instilled in him deep, that deepened his faith in the Messiah Jesus. And because of this, he had a firm faith. Paul offers his first challenge to Timothy that he calls him to reject the temptation to be ashamed of the good news. How often do we... Are in situations, and without realizing it, we reject him. That someone next to us, you know, at work or a friend, a family member, or going through different difficult things, and we have that moment where we can talk about Jesus. We have that moment where we can share part of our testimony, and it's like our lips are locked, you know, and we we know that that the Holy Spirit is pushing us. And yet, there's so much fear that grips us that we can't even utter a word. I think that it's important that we practice sharing our testimony. You know, that I think that we should have a long version, that when we have the opportunity to share it, that hopefully we don't bore people and put them to sleep by giving them the day-to-day of everything that we've been through our entire lives. But I also think that we should be able to share our testimony in about three to five minutes when the opportunity presents itself, that we should be able to hit the highlights of the pain and then go through what Jesus has done in our life and then share how Jesus has changed us. And the more that we become practiced in being able to do this, that when that moment happens that Jesus is pushing us, it will be more comfortable to, to share because we're already in practice. You know, one of the reasons that we pray for each other at the end of the night is that if we can't pray in the comfortability of a church for people that we know are Christians, the likelihood of us praying for anyone out in the world is very, is very slim. And God prompted me years ago to end the service in prayer as we should, but then putting people in pairs and having them begin to pray for each other. Because the more practice that we have in praying for our brothers and sisters, the easier it will become for us to pray for people that may not know Jesus or may not be coming to church or maybe in the office or maybe in the street, maybe in Walmart. We never know. You know, there's been many a times that I'm walking out of Walmart and I see a situation and God's like, go pray for them. And I'm like, yep, go into the truck. We've all been there, right? And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's like, um, Hello, Mr. Man of God. I'm like, yes, Jesus. <laughs> I thought I told you to do something. I'm like, yep, here I go. <laughs> but it's not easy. It's not easy for us to pray for random strangers. And it's funny is that in the years that I've been praying for random strangers, I think I've only been rejected once. And I prayed for that person anyway, they just didn't lay hands on. <laughs> Take that. I got you. It's important that we have this relationship with Jesus and that, you know, it flows through us. That if our relationship with Jesus is church on Sunday, that all of a sudden something, you know, it, it can't flow. You know, And you see the principle between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is ten times the Sea of Galilee, but you can't fish in the Dead Sea because everything is dead. And the the reasoning of that is that there's no outpouring out of the Dead Sea. It it comes and it collects, and all of the, the poisons that are in the land, all the salts that are in, all the extra minerals, that it's too high concentrated for anything to live. So often as we're just coming to church and we're just getting filled with some Jesus and nothing's flowing out of us, we become useless. You know, but the Dead Sea is full of life. You know, and it's much smaller, but yet it pours out what it's given. You know, and it's so important that we get in the practice of giving away what we've been given. You know, and the recovery principle is that we give it away to keep it. You know, the more I talk about Jesus, the more Jesus pours into me. You know, that we we minister out of a a, a full cup, that we can't minister out of an empty cup, but yet, if He pours a little bit in, we need to pour a little bit out. And then He pours a little bit more in, we pour a little bit more out. So often we're like, when I get ready, Jesus, I'm ready to serve you. And He's like, you've been ready for years. And we feel stifled, and we feel, you know, stagnant, and nothing's moving. And sometimes Jesus is like pushing us out into that uncomfortable place so that our our cup spills a little bit, and before we know it, Jesus is doing more than we thought. So it's so important that we're not ashamed to share. It's not, a, you know, I don't think that it's we're denying people. You know, I don't think that any of us in here that if somebody put us on the spot, like, do you like you believe in Buddha or do you believe in Jesus? We're like Jesus. But I think that there's these moments where Jesus wants to move through each and every one of us. And we have those moments, and then when we don't take the moment, we hear Jesus and we feel that ashamed feeling, don't we? And it's so important that we get used to sharing the good news, or used to sharing our testimony, or used to sharing with people about Jesus, or at least stepping out in prayer in those promptings where Jesus is asking us to step out. But Paul is telling Timothy not to be ashamed about Jesus. And Paul is referencing, you know, his suffering is in prison. It's similar to the the suffering that Christ went through. And it's because of their announcing the good news. The reason that, that Paul is now emphasizing this, you know, negative stigma is because he's gained this because he's been in prison in frequent times. The people that used to walk with him because he got himself in trouble don't want to be associated with them because they're afraid that they might get in trouble too. You know, that I don't know how many times that we have these opportunities where Jesus is pulling us into a deeper relationship, but if we step into that deeper relationship with Jesus, our friendships will be influenced and adjusted. And there's a lot of times that I try to step out, but because people won't go with me, I shrink back to where they are. And there's times that even Christian relationships we might have to let go for a minute and say, I'm following Jesus, and see if those people follow Jesus too. They're not following us, they're following Him. But there's times that we have to take that prompting of the Holy Spirit, we have to repent of what we need to repent of, and Jesus is saying, chase me, and we're like, but but, but what about everybody else? I'm not calling them in this specific moment, I'm calling you. And it's so important that we step out when He's asking us to step out, because if we're waiting for the crowd to step out with us, we're gonna be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And they don't move necessarily when we move. Even though some of them might have the same prompting, it's our personal relationship with Jesus that we need to respond personally. That we're like, hey everybody, Jesus is telling me that I should follow him, Why don't you come with me. It doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always work that way. You know, and it's important that we we break free of the opinion of man, even if it's a fellow brother or sister. You know, and and Paul is calling Timothy to step out in spite of what people might say. You know, Paul's co-workers doubted his calling because he got himself in prison so much. Yet the reason that he found himself in prison is that he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ you know <clears throat> he mentions a couple of guys that had deserted him along the way because they were ashamed that Paul, you know, was getting himself in trouble and they didn't want to be associated with accused criminals. You know that when I read through the New Testament, I see Jesus hanging out with criminals. I see Jesus hanging out with prostitutes. I see Jesus hanging out with notorious sinners. I see Jesus going into places that the religious people said that they sh- he should not go. Doesn't he know who he's hanging out with? Jesus absolutely knew who He was hanging out with. And that's exactly where the good news needed to be preached. That the healthy people don't think they need a doctor, but the broken people know that we do. You know, And there's so many broken people around us that are just waiting for someone to say, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, would you like to come to church with me? I think back so many years ago when this tiny girl came to an AA meeting And she says, hey, my church is doing this recovery meeting. Would you like to come? And I said, can't hurt me. And I came to church for the first time on my own. And if she didn't ask me to come, I don't know where I would be. We have no idea, the people that are around us right now, that all you would have to say is, would you come to church with me? Or, hey, can we get together and have coffee? I want to talk to you about what God has done in my life. And let God be the one that influences them, not us. It's not up to us to change people. That's his job. But it's up to us to take the prompting and say, I'll do what you say, Jesus. I'm stepping out in this way, Jesus. I'm absolutely terrified right now, Jesus. But what if they reject me? They're not really rejecting us, they're rejecting him. And we have to realize that if people reject us for the good news, they're really rejecting him. That we're just being obedient to what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do. You know, that I can't wait till there's more accused criminals in church. I mean, there's quite a few of us in this room, but you know, sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't see anyone. You know, in all honesty, You If the people that Jesus was ministering on a regular basis came to church, what would we do? What if the homeless came in stinking and smelled like urine? What if the the prostitutes come in the church and they're still coming down off a high? What would we do? I think that it's up to us sometimes to to lead the example in the streets and let people know that Jesus loves them. Let people know that there is a solution. Because this world is not offering a solution. They're offering more prison. They're offering more bondage. And it's up to us to say there is a solution. You may not like to hear it, but it's changed my life. You know, and we have to realize that someday there might be someone sitting next to me in church that doesn't look too pretty and doesn't smell all that great. Praise God. That someone is, is searching for a solution that Up into that moment was maybe afraid to come into church. You know, and it's up to us to make people feel welcomed. You know, I believe that Redeemer does a great job. They welcomed me so many years ago. You know, that when I first started coming, I would come outside after church and take my shirt off and smoke cigarettes and blow smoke at people as they walked out because I wanted someone to tell me I didn't belong there. And I would have an excuse to leave. Now maybe they didn't because they were super righteous or maybe they did it because they were afraid of me. I don't really know. But God kept me planted still none the same. And I'm so grateful for a church that reaches out to sinners. You know, if we're all so super righteous, then no one has nowhere to go. So Paul is asking Timothy to reject fear. Reject shame. How often do we struggle with fear and shame? For not only just the sins of our own life, but we don't want to tell people about Jesus because we might think they might reject us. Here's the greatest one, if you ask me. Finally, we get someone to come to church with us and the weirdest, most crazy spiritual Christian that's worshiping and all crazy and flailing about, speaking in tongues, is right behind us or right in front of us. And you're like, Jesus, what? I finally got this person to come to church and this is what's happening. And am are like, oh! But yet, if that person wasn't there, we'd be joining right along with it, wouldn't we? And so often we're afraid to represent Jesus the way we represent Jesus. You know, that people need to see that we are Excited about Jesus. They need to see that, you know, that we believe in supernatural things. See, I specifically believe that when supernatural hits natural, it's weird. If we watch somebody get up out of a casket, we'd be like, whoa. That's weird. I don't care what you think. That resurrection is just crazy. And yet that's the foundation of our faith, is the weirdest thing that a human could possibly do, is get up when they're dead. And yet we're afraid that I might pray out loud and somebody might hear me. I think there's a time and a place and we need to be you know, listening to the Holy Spirit and not be too weird. I get that. Because I see Christians get weird and I'm like, yeah, not all that. But yet, I'm standing up front with my hands raised, singing to the top of my lungs. Why? Because Jesus has done something in my life and I'm praising and worshiping Him. You know? If I was at a football game, where would my hands be if my team scored a touchdown? Where would my voice be? I'd be screaming. <sighs> you know, we, we find excitement in other things, but when it comes to Jesus, we're afraid that people would know. It's so important that we reject what the world is trying to put on us. That we have to trust in what Jesus is doing. That we have to reject the shame. We have to reject the, the fear. Paul knows what he's asking Timothy is costly. Jesus knows what he's asking us is costly. It might cost you a job. It might cost you a relationship. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you family. Following Jesus might cost you money. Jesus, don't touch my pocket. <laughs> Jesus, is like I want more than your pocket. You know, and I can only share my testimony is that when I got saved, I was still working in the tattoo shop. And I know the Holy Spirit is saying, time to go. And I'm like, Nope, I don't want to go. This is where I'm going to reach people for Jesus. But yet I'm surrounded by people I party with. You know, the temptation was high. Whether it was drugs and alcohol or or being immoral. You know, and People, places, and things are something that we're taught as we're trying to get sober, that we have to stay away from certain people, places, and things because they trigger us. But I think that trigger is a choice. I think that, but if I'm so close to the fire and wondering why I'm getting burned, I have to make an adjustment in my life. And finally, when Jesus had screamed loud enough at me, whispering at me, I finally, like, alright, I hear you, I'm ready. You know, I stepped out with no job. It cost me friendships. But I'm so grateful I did it. I, I wish I would have done it sooner. You know, now I'm not telling you to go home and quit your job and, and sever a relationship. I'm telling you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm saying. Is that when I finally was obedient, God moved me. And that's what I'm saying. Is that, that Paul is asking Timothy to trust him, but also to come. You know, and this costly request is putting Timothy at risk. But Timothy knows that the G, uh, the grace of Jesus Christ is the source of power, and this is so important for us to realize that it's, Jesus is the source of power. You know that so often we try to do it in our own strength, don't we? I try to do it my way. I try to do it my way. I try to do it my way. Then I ask somebody then I try to do it my way, then I try to do it my way, and then I throw up a prayer, and then I try to do it my way. And finally, when I'm broken enough is when I surrender and say, I'm ready to do it your way. But usually that's like months or years, decades for some of us. And His way makes absolutely no sense in our minds. That we've talked to Him about His way and we're like, that just won't work. Devil, I rebuke you. And He's like, What? And as we pray, the Holy Spirit is saying, go this way. And it completely terrifies us. And honestly, I think that that's how we know it's Jesus. Is that there's something on the inside of us that doesn't agree with it. And that's our flesh. Because if I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a great idea, most likely that's sin. If I'm really looking forward to about doing this, and I'm planning on how awesome this is going to be, most likely that's sin. If I'm like terrified of doing this and thinking about everything and everybody, what they're going to say and what's going to happen, most likely that Jesus will come on, come, I got something for you. Come this way. And we cannot do that in our own strength. We cannot follow Jesus in our own strength. It's impossible to follow the will of God in our own flesh. Because at some point... The self-preservation that's built into each and every one of us to keep ourselves alive is going to say, this is a bad idea, run. Yes. And Jesus is asking us to deny ourselves and trust Him. It's all throughout the Bible. Deny ourselves, trust Him. Deny ourselves, trust Him. Are you afraid? Trust me. You know, we're going to need His strength to do what He's asking us to do because it's not going to be easy it requires us to lay down everything. Every strength and gift that we think we have, we have to lay it at His feet and trust Him. Because we cannot do His will on our own strength. It's impossible. We must learn how to humble ourselves before Him and begin to boast in our weakness. Some of the things that I talk about on a regular basis are the things that I hid for 20 or 30 years. You know, who gets up in front of a room full of people and talks about getting molested as a kid? Doesn't make much sense unless I'm insane. But it's the thing that Jesus did inside of me that set me free because I hid it for 20 years. And now it's one of the biggest parts of my testimony. And I honestly think I've helped more people come out of, you know, sexual abuse as children than I've actually helped get sober. Why? Why? Because it's such a dark place in our lives that we hide. You know, everybody talks about addiction. You know, I smoked crack and went to jail. Woo! You don't know, no, like, but that's part of my testimony. I stole from my friends. Part of my testimony. Like the things that Jesus constantly throws me under the bus and say, hey, here, talk about that. And I go, okay. See, I think personally we're in our testimony Because Jesus can heal those darkest places and the sting of sin gets removed. That we can boast in our weakness because those are the areas that we've spent the majority of our lives hiding and covering and trying to run from. And those are the areas that he wants to use us in the greatest fashion. Now I don't think that everybody is going to stand in front of a room full of people and and shout their, their greatest pains. But I do believe that we need to let Jesus into those areas so all of a sudden the person working next to us is going through something and we start talking to them and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit say, hey, talk about that. And we're like, okay. And then we talk about some of those secrets. You know, I don't think that everyone's going to broadcast it. How I do believe as we humble ourselves before Him and we let Jesus into those dark places, He begins to heal us. You know, and I think so often... That, you know, we believe that Jesus is our Lord, but I got this whole area of my life that I hide. That when I got saved, I just, I, it's under the blood. That's all under the blood. And we never talk about it. Cause it's under the blood. But yet it comes back to life, doesn't it? It's not really dead. So it's not really under the blood. It's under Tom's suppression, and I keep it hidden. And I have a little bit of Jesus, but yet anytime I go through things, all this stuff comes back to life again. And Jesus is asking us to let Him into those darkest places. He knocks on the door. He says, let me in. We're like, no, 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 no. If I open that up, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Jesus is like, I know what's going to happen. You're going to find freedom. But yet we're like, I don't know. It's been in there for a long time. He's like, I know. It's the thing that's poisoning you. Let me in. That we have to learn that... We boast in our weakness and saying, I can't handle that stuff. Jesus, help me. Now I'm not asking you to start talking about it. I'm asking you to start praying about it. Start asking Jesus to help you with that stuff. Ask him into those dark places. Ask him into those closets that you got full of junk and say, Jesus, I I don't, I'm afraid to open that door and realize that he'll walk with you through it. You know, I suffered from depression for a long, long time. Long, long time. Since I was a little kid. And it was when Jesus started asking me to let him into places. And I said, I don't want to do it. And something started to stir in me. And I said, God, give me the willingness to let go. God, give me the willingness to forgive. Because I wasn't willing to let him in. But I knew that I wanted to be free. And I had to let which one weigh out which was going to win i have been stuffing that stuff for 30 years. It wasn't serving me very well. And then when I began to say, God, give me the willingness to forgive and give me the willingness to let go, after a few weeks of praying that prayer, all of a sudden the stuff started popping out of me. And I started to forgive people that hurt me. Forgave my dad. Forgave my mom. Forgave the guy that molested me. Forgave the ex-girlfriends. Forgave a bunch of people that I said I would never forgive. Forgave a bunch of people that I wanted to kill. And all of a sudden depression started to lift and the joy of the Lord began to come. Because I was releasing all the stuff that was being toxic that was in my mind and when I released it, the depression went with it. I believe that when I released control and said, I'm starting to trust you Jesus, the anxiety began to lift. Because I didn't have to figure it all out. You know, so many of us have been through so many painful things that we try to control everything around us because we're trying to prevent more pain. Is it working? Hasn't worked for me. Probably isn't working for you. But when we release it and we say, Jesus, I'm petrified, but I'm ready to do it your way. Everything that we want to do is grab a hold of everything and start controlling it. And Jesus saying, let go. I got you. And if I got you, I can get them. I can get that. I can take care of this. And it's going to freak us out. I believe that this is how we begin to trust Him more and more each day, is that we let go of stuff that we want to happen exactly how we want it to happen. And yet, no matter how hard we try to get those puzzle pieces to fit, no matter how many times we try to get those ducks in a row, it doesn't work. And we just say, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. i got to trust in you. And then something begins to happen on the inside of us is that we find strength outside of ourselves. It's now inside of ourselves that we find strength in Christ. That that same power that raised Christ from the, from the dead dwells in each and every one of us. But sometimes I'm not activating it because I'm still trying to operate in my flesh. I can't operate on that thing that's inside of us, each and every one of us, that has resurrection power. And he wants to resurrect each and every one of us. Because a lot of times we're like walking dead. I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't go on another day. Because it's in our strength. We're right. We can't. But yet we keep marching on and stumbling forward and we're depressed and anxious and we're using the things that the world is talking to us about to use to help us in these situations and it's just getting worse. And Jesus is saying surrender. But it's scary, surrender. You know, we're taught that we surrender to win. You know, every time I try to have control I lose. I lose more control. Jesus' kingdom is the opposite of what we would think. It's upside down. So when he's calling us to be soldiers in his army, he's calling us to, to be equipped with our weapons of warfare, which is not our fists or metal. It's our prayer life. You know, And the more that we go to war in prayer, that we see how he's moving us into new places. You know that Paul is asking them, or asking Timothy, to be like a soldier in Christ's army, and he's asking him to please his commanding officer. You know he goes into these metaphors. You know, as an athlete would train their bodies for competition. You know, a hardworking farmer is dedicated to to till the grounds. You know, and as a soldier is is willing to please their commander. He's using these metaphors as people. Who are committed to something greater than themselves. That so often we want Jesus to help us with our will. You know, and we pray in Jesus' name, but it's really got our name written all over it. You know, and He's asking us to believe in something greater, not to build our own kingdom because it'll be destroyed. Isn't that what we read? But if we build His kingdom, that Christ gets the glory. You know that we have to be begin to believe in something greater than ourselves, because every time that we try to serve ourselves or build our own kingdom, it falls apart doesn't it? You know chase the American dream you know every time that I got what I thought I wanted it 's not what I really wanted, and I was on something else, but all of a sudden, I surrendered myself to Jesus, and he gives me more than I could possibly understand. And it's like he is the only thing that can satisfy those inner workings of who we are. He's the only one that can satisfy Jesus himself was committed to the Father's will and he suffered beatings crucifixion, death, and burial. You know similarly, Paul himself is now suffering in a Roman prison and looking at. It. His own death that's coming soon, but he realizes that his resurrection most likely won't be in the natural that his resurrection is spiritual, and that for us our resurrection would be spiritual that we believe in a, in a place after this, that we believe in the kingdom to come that we believe in an eternal value of what we do here on, on this earth you know so there's a greater goal. You know, if there's not a greater goal than what we could accomplish here on earth, then we're looking at something wrong. We're looking at it completely wrong. If we're still trying to chase the American dream and say we're believers, something's screwed up. And we need to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, what should I be doing? Because most likely He might be shifting things. And it's scary. A lot of us have spent a long time trying to build our own kingdoms in it. And all of a sudden, he pulls the rug out from underneath us, and it feels like, well, why? Why is this happening to me? He's trying to get our attention. Why else does things happen to us? He pulls us into deeper relationship. You know that. You know, as Jesus laid his life down for the Father's will, you know, we look at that passage in in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, is there any other way we could do this? Because that would be great. But your will be done. I think that we can pray and say, "Can we figure out a different way to do this?" But yet, at the end of the day, we say, "All right, I'm ready to do it irrevocably." Because every time that we try to find that other way, or try to result, or push ourselves into that other way, we we find that it doesn't turn out the best. But when we finally surrender certain areas of our lives, we see that His will is accomplished. You know that we find that. This Christian life isn't always easy, is it? I think that that's why we need Jesus. If it was easy, we could do it without Him. You know, know, Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of our hope. That we find hope in Christ alone. I'll find hope when I get that new job. I'll find hope when I get married. I'll find hope when I get a puppy. I'll find hope when... You know, the kids come home. I find hope when my mom turns around. I find hope when my dad calls. I find hope. All those things that when those things happen and they're not bad things that we want, there's not bad things that we're praying about, they're not even bad things that could happen, but if I think that that's going to satisfy me, I get the thing that I prayed for so much and I'm just on to the next thing that I need to, to help me to feel better. Jesus is the only thing that can come in to our broken heart and, and heal us. Paul writes this if we died with him then we will live with him. If we endure, then we will reign with him. If we deny him, then he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he will remain faithful because he is unable to deny his own nature. Second Timothy two, eleven through thirteen. God's love for Us has opened us to a new hope through the death and the resurrection that Jesus has suffered. Those that, that we take this risk of trusting him and following Jesus, God promises vindication and life for those who reject him. God will honor that decision and do the same, but people's faithlessness will never compel God to abandon his faithfulness to us. So Paul is, is calling Timothy to be faithful. Be faithful to Jesus, although it may come with a cost. It's so important that we realize that he is, is trying to do something greater in us and around us than we could even understand. You know, Paul is moving and asking Timothy to do these great things. You know, so often we we don't really realize that the nature or the purpose of what he wants to do. You know, and when we find you know faith in Christ alone, that we find this hope even though nothing around us is beginning to change. You know that he's asking Timothy to trust in the scriptures. Now back then, the only scripture that he really had would have been Old Testament. You know, the New Testament wasn't really written yet. I mean, Paul had been writing letters, but we didn't compile them. Timothy didn't have access to the letters that were written to some of the other churches. You know, so to rely on scriptures, he's asking him to rely on the Old Testament. But the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. It points of the coming Messiah. It points to the hope that is to come. And he's telling him that this is where you're living now. You know, that he's asking him to rely on the scriptures that he'd been taught since he was a kid by his, his mom and his grandmother. That these these scriptures will give you wisdom. They lead to salvation. They lead to true faith in the Messiah, Christ Jesus. He's saying the whole point of scriptures is to tell us to this unified story that leads to Jesus. That it has wisdom to offer in this world when the world has nothing to offer. Paul takes these scriptures and the nature and the purpose of those scriptures, and the scripture is divinely breathed. You know, it's literally God's Spirit breathed in our face as we're reading it. You know, and this is a reference of the Spirit's rule in guiding all of the authors who wrote, you know, all of the different Old Testament scriptures and even the New Testament scriptures now that we have. That God wanted His people to hear His voice in His love letters written to them. God speaks to His people in the scriptures, <clears throat> and and scriptures can be used in a very practical way for the purpose of bringing forth His kingdom. You know, He says scripture is useful for telling us the things that we don't know, because it's teaching us. You know, they're useful for challenging us and getting in our face when we try to do things. That we say we believe, but we don't actually follow, follow our own words. That we're consistently, you know, going against what scripture is telling us. So they're trying to correct us. You know, so often that's one of the biggest reasons that we don't read our Bible is because we read something that convict us. So therefore we'll just leave that alone. I don't like you anymore now, Jesus. How often do we read something that's convicting? We're like, woohoo, that's awesome. Love that scripture? No, we're like, I don't like that scripture. I don't know if I believe that scripture. Yeah, I'm not. I just flip the page. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to Psalms. <laughs> you know, if you're reading through the Bible and aren't convicted, then you're living on a whole higher plane than I am. Because yeah. every time I read the Bible, I I see things. And I'm like, oof, need to work on that. I need to work on my attitude. I need to work on my heart. I need to work on my speech. I need to work on this. I need to work on that. The Bible's a mirror. And it should be reflecting Jesus. And if we're reading it and we don't see Jesus, that's good. Because if we think that we got this all figured out, then we're in trouble. Scripture helps us to humble ourselves before Him and say, I need you. I need you to live this life because I don't know how to do it. You know, so often we can get out of balance and like, oh, I don't even know I'm saved. I'm such a wretch. Well, I am a wretch, and I'm saved by grace. You know, that we're learning how to, to walk with Him better and better through the years. But if I'm the same man that I was when I first met Him, there's something wrong. You know, I think that through the years that we should be growing more into the image of Christ that the things I struggle with today are not the same things I struggled with years ago. You know, I believe the Scriptures are pulling us into deeper relationship and refining us into the image of Christ. You know, that it's helping us to train, trains us in righteousness, showing us that there's a new way to be a human, not just a, a, a Christian. I think that there's a lot of things that the world, you know, you see them post stuff on Facebook and post stuff and tweet stuff. And, you know, if we know our words, we're like, that's Scripture, that's Scripture, that's Scripture. And then the second you tell them it's the Bible, and then they, ah! you know, it's like... But so often, you know, what we've learned as Christians is the Word does not come back void. So if that Word is bringing forth a promise in somebody's life, it's because the power of the Word of God, even though they're, they might not know Jesus yet. And that's how He draws us in. You know, I remember many, many years ago as I was trying to figure out sobriety and I'm, I'm going to meetings and I you know I read through the big book and then years later you know I'm reading through the bible and I'm like the bible took that from the big book <laughs> I'm like wait a minute no the big book got that from the bible like I was blown away that the, you know that that the big book was using scriptures And there's millions of people sober today that are living a life that's pointing them to Jesus even though they don't want Jesus. And what I've come to learn is that because the Word does not come back void, when they align themselves with certain Scriptures, that stuff comes alive in them, that the principle brings promise. And it points to Jesus, even if they're not ready for Him, because it pointed me to Jesus even years prior to me finally surrendering and accepting Jesus. I was living according to the Word of God that I found in the big book. And I didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. And Jesus was up there like, ha, ah, I'm going to get you. <laughs> Just take another step. Yep, yep. Oh, yep, yep, that didn't work. Good job. Come on. You know, and he pulled me into relationship with him. How often have we been trying to do it our own way, trying to be good people, and found ourselves broken again? because he wants to pull us into a deeper relationship with him for us to honor him and glorify him in all that we're doing, even when we're trying to do good. Paul states to Timothy that I'm probably not going to make it out of prison alive. You know, He's asking, asking Timothy to come as soon as possible. He, he states that his only comfort now is in his, the personal presence of Jesus that's meeting him in his prison cell. You know, some of us are going through some difficult stuff right now. And the only comfort that you may find is putting on worship music and singing and crying and singing and crying and singing and crying. And saying, Jesus, I don't know what else to do besides turn to you. And I'm going to glorify you in the midst of this dark place. And that's really the only thing that you can do because you've tried every other thing, but it's just not working. And I just really encourage you, if you're in a dark place, just keep singing and crying. Keep singing and crying. Find scriptures and start proclaiming them over your family. Start proclaiming them over your marriage. Start proclaiming them over your kids. Start proclaiming them over your parents. Start proclaiming them over your finances and saying, Jesus, I don't know what else to do but trust in you. And most likely, the direction he's going to ask you to go is completely opposite of what you want to do. Well, weren't you just asking me for freedom? Well, yeah, but my way in Jesus' name. I mean, that's really what's going on inside of us. Am I, am I just being honest? I'm just being honest. That I want freedom in my way in Jesus' name. Like hocus pocus, alcadabra, poof, I get my will accomplished and then I'll be happy. No. Every time I get my will, it's more destruction in Jesus' name, I'm ready to do it your way, means that most likely going in the opposite direction of the way I want to go, most likely I'm going to have to let go of something. Most likely I'm going to have to do something. Most likely I'm going to be in a pl- place that I'm really extremely uncomfortable and terrified. And you're just like, perfect. Yeah. I finally got your attention. And all of a sudden, you're going to pop out the other side of that And you're going to see what he does. And we're like, that makes no sense. And he's like, that's why I call it a miracle. And that's why I get the glory for that taking place. is because it could not happen any other way than if I could do it. And so often we're still trying to do it in our own strength. So we want a little bit of the glory. Well, I stood in there. I did this. I didn't give up. I was committed. And Jesus is like, no, I asked you to leave that alone. I ask you to chase after me. I ask you to surrender that. I ask you to take hold of this. You know, and each one of us has one of those things. Each one of us is wrestling with him in some area of our life that we're just like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And honestly, I don't think he cares. I really don't. He's more uh, conscious with our holiness than he is our happiness. And when we find holiness, we find joy. And that trumps happiness. There's been many a times in my life that I've been happy, and it wasn't what I wanted. But when I found Jesus, I didn't even realize that that is what I've been looking for my whole life. And today I have peace, I have joy, and love comes out of me, and it makes no sense. The person that I am today, I would have not been liked by the person I once was. At all. At all. Old Tom would have not been a fan of new Tom. On any level. On any level. And if we think about it, we think about the person that we used to be, if we're still like, yeah, me and him would be bros and we'd hang out, like, we got some more work to do. You know, Paul is reminding Timothy to live this influential life. That there's a mission for each and every one of us. Even though we have persistent challenges and struggles and suffering. That when we follow Jesus, we find satisfaction. That there may be risk. There may be sacrifice. There's going to be struggle. There may be tension. There may be discomfort. But Jesus is calling us in to this relationship, and he's Paul is actually saying that those are all signs that I'm at work. You know, something I've learned through the years is that when everything starts attacking me, it means God's moving. I may not see it, but if the enemy is coming at me full force, that means God's up to something. You know, and I call it hypothermia theory, you know, Tom's philosophy. That hypothermia will pull the blood from your fingers and toes to keep the body alive. That when we go through attacks, we need to pull back from anything that we may not need, and we shrink down, and we just have our core people, that we're not trying to do all the things that we normally do, and we just pull in and we let the storm pass, just like as the hurricanes hitting in Florida right now, Like they're not out playing in the yard, playing catch with dad. No, they're huddled in the basement. They're, they're pulling in to, to produce survival. And when the attacks come that we don't have to, oh, rebuke the storm. No, I just duck. I just duck and trust Jesus. And all of a sudden the storms come and they go. They come and they go. And they come and they go. It's a way of life that we're always going to have storms. Some are going to be harder than others. You know, but I don't need to, to put myself out there when I'm emotionally and spiritually feeling like I'm being attacked. I need to shrink down, just duck my head, let the storm pass, and that we'll watch how Jesus does miracles in the midst of that. I don't need to figure it all out. So the signs of all these things going on are really the, the presence of Jesus in our lives that we just may not see it yet. You know, that Paul is discovering through the generations of Christians after him that precisely in these dark and difficult moments, Jesus' love and faithfulness can come in the most tangible and real ways. So I just want to encourage you guys that I know that each one of us is going through something. That's just life. Some of us have been going through something for a long time. You know, and it's time to let him do what he wants to do. and we need to get our our fingers out of the midst and say, you know what, it's time. It's time that I surrender. It's time that I do it His way. It's time that I let go of that thing. It's time that I start doing this. It's time that I stop doing that. And I don't know what your stuff is, but the Holy Spirit's already talking to you about it. You know, that's why He's faithful. Like, I got my own stuff. I'm preaching to me right now. You know, it's time, Tom, it's time. I'm like, oh, okay, Jesus, yep, yeah, alright, yep, yeah. oh, next week, yep, yeah, alright, yep, yeah. great message, that's awesome, good word. Like, no, Tom, repent, surrender, let's do something. Okay, go team Jesus. <laughs> like, we all have something, don't we? But are we gonna do another month, another year, another decade, doing it our way, or is it like enough enough? You know, and only we can decide when that, when we've had, we've struggled enough and we're ready to surrender. You know, and that's the beauty of Jesus is that we don't have to do it alone. He's with us. You know, He's right there in that darkest place. He's right there with us, talking to us and and guiding us. You know, that we don't have to figure it all out. We just have to let Him direct us. Just bow your heads with me. Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I I pray that you would move in each one of these places, Lord, as your word tonight kind of tilled the ground, Lord. I pray the seeds of your word are planted and that your power, your Holy Spirit would come and and life would begin to to come forth, Lord, and old things would be broken off and stripped away, Lord, that they blow away in the wind almost, Lord, in the storms, Lord, as you come through our lives sometimes it it seems like a hurricane and and it doesn't make a lot of sense and we don't understand why and help us to just duck our heads and pray and say jesus i trust you i'm going to trust you i'm going to let go i'm going to trust you i'm going to step forward i'm going to trust you and do it your way this time lord i just ask that you just comfort us in the midst of these dark times Lord that only you can just as you did with Paul I pray that you'd come into each and every one of our households our bedrooms our marriages our relationships things going on with our kids things going on with our parents things going on with brothers and sisters Lord I pray that you would come in the midst of these places in our jobs in our schooling I pray that you would come Lord and that something would be birthed out of this dark place that goes beyond our understanding, that goes beyond our control, that only you can get the glory. I just thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Many, many, many.